Hello, how you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. How the devil are you? Yeah. Yep, I hear you. Well, I hope you're okay. So, uh, let me just open... I'm in the kitchen. Let me just open this kitchen window. Let's lean out of the kitchen window a second. Let's have a listen on what's going on. Not a lot, obviously. Now, I was... Uh, the plan was I was going to record this intro and outro on my uh, little exercise walk today. But um, we ended up going to the park and climbing trees, me and my little boy, for like half an hour. And it wasn't really conducive to uh, record uh, up a tree. Maybe it would. Maybe I'll do that next week on my own. Um, So I'm back in the kitchen. It's Wednesday night. It's just gone 7.30. I hope you are keeping safe, you're keeping well, you're doing whatever you need to do. Thank you so much for all the messages that you've sent. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us on Instagram Live with Nadine Shah on Sunday. What a laugh that was. Um, And of course, we just, we skimmed the surface with Nadine. If you didn't join us, you know, if you did join us, you'll know me and Nadine love to talk and uh, what was going to be only half an hour... I'm going to shut this window, it's freezing. What was going to be half an hour... There we go. Uh, was almost an hour. But uh, we, Nadine is going to come back on for a one-to-one or possibly a live show for a very selective audience. And I'll let you know a little secret. Uh, myself and Nadine had planned on recording a very live episode in front of uh, a small selective audience in Manchester at the end of April of this year. Obviously, we've had to um, put that on the back burner for now, but maybe we'll do it again. But anyway, she's going to come back on and we're going to get to know Nadine a hell of a lot more. So massive thank yous to the brilliant Nadine Shaw for our first live Instagram podcast, which... Yeah, we're going to be doing some more of those, but also what is changing. So for the next three weeks, we have got episodes in the bank, and that's good. I'll let you a little secret. Next week's episode is with the brilliant Parminder Nagra, star of ER, Bandit Like Beckham, all-round beautiful hysterical human being um and it's a great episode and it's with wine so bring wine next week to this episode um yeah so we're gonna set up i've already set up three episodes today to record via skype i'm gonna be doing that uh from next week Uh, basically what i'm saying is we're gonna carry on going that's what we're gonna be doing i'm gonna carry on going because we love it and we get fully supported by you. Now, speaking of being supported, you know we have our Patreon account, patreon.com forward slash two shot pod. Now, I know 
times are hard, but the outpouring of support and love that you give us, you know, it keeps us going and it's, at times it's overwhelming. Certainly it's very overwhelming. I want to say a massive thank you to you all. And there's more people to come, but there's two very, very special people who have, I'm not going to embarrass them too much by saying what they've done for us, but they've done something extremely generous and supportive of the podcast. And that's Terry Blackburn and Kath Brandon, myself and producer Griff, send you so much love and thanks for what you've done. Um, We were quite gobsmacked. So really, honestly, it's not like me to not have words for it, but I generally don't have words. So thank you. And a huge, huge thank you to all these beautiful, brilliant patron super backers, the ones that go above and beyond. So let's do a roll call. Okay, who's in the class? Ben Hewis, bless you. Dancia King, come on. Daniel Farday, thank you, brother. Dion Brown, bless you. Eileen Collins, I hope you're well. Ella Murphy, we love you. You've been there from the start, thank you. Emma Hobson, cheers. Georgina Tripp, no words, no words, Georgina. Heather Weir, bless you. Helen Zachariasen is in the house, thank you. Hands up. Oh, Joe Freeman, bless you. Oh, it's big John Griffin, he's always there. Thank you, John. Karen Burns, honestly, what what could we do without you? Karen Morgan, thank you so much. Kaylee McCants, I've no words, I've no words. Laura Keenan, lovely to see you, thank you, Laura. Lem Rye, honestly, bless you. Oh, it's only Lisa Vaness, thank you, bless you so much. Louise Clark, ah, oh, what? Thank you. Lucy Shearer, it's only Lucy. Lucy comes to our live shows. Bless you, Lucy. Thank you. It's Mo Mashati. Mo is not in the UK. I hope you are well and keeping good over there, keeping safe, keeping sound, obviously. Nancy Keating, thank you. Nev Pierce, honestly. For those that don't know, Nev has been there pretty much from from the start, I think. And it's people like that. Um, Yeah, we can't thank enough. Nirvana, just Nirvana. I have no words. Great name. Ray Holman, another person that's been there for so long and has always supported us. And look, if you don't know who Ray Holman is, then you should really check him out. He is the award-winning, incredible costume designer of Fleabag and Doctor Who. Yeah, you know it. Sarah Figueredo, thank you. Sarah Jane Hargrave, thank you so much. Sarah Renee, 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 Renee. Let's do Renee. Do Renee? Anyway, we can't thank you enough. Sol Talby, thank you so much. Another one that comes to our live shows, Suzanne Wilson, 
bless you, take care, and also last but not least, it's lovely Tina. Oh, massive roll call, hands up if you're in the class. Sorry, this is going on so long, isn't it? Um, but look, you're there, you support us, so you deserve a shout out, and we cannot thank you enough, honestly, for what you do, especially in these times. And for everybody that chucks us a dollar, whatever you do, you support this podcast, and it means the world to us, honestly. Right. So, before all this lockdown happened, I was in Manchester in the summer of last year and I went to a gaff that I used to go for my breakfast called Tack in the Northern Quarter. If you haven't gone, big shout out to Tack. Uh, great breakfast. Lovely, lovely people. In fact, there's one guy in there who serves you. He's got very long hair and a beard. And he's just the most happiest, happiest fella. And it was a joy to always see him every morning. And I was coming out of there in the summer and I got stopped by two women and I was having a chat with them. And they, uh, that sounds very really dodgy, doesn't it? Now they were talking, it was about, I think it was about, it must have been about light of duty or something. Anyway, it's not about me. You know that by now. And we had a little chat. And anyway, later on, I worked out that it was Karen Bardsley who was Man City's goalkeeper and goalkeeper for England. And I thought this would be the perfect time to sit down and have a conversation with Karen about how she got started. And it might be a very nice inspiration for young kids and especially young girls who think that football isn't for them when it is. And we get into it. So I went to Manchester before lockdown, sat down with Karen, and it's exactly what we did. We had a cup of tea and we got it on. So this is the Two Shot Podcast with the brilliant Karen Barsley. And I shall see you at the end. I was um, driving up this morning with the rain, lashing down on the motorway, and the roads were perfectly cleared. And take me too long to get up north because obviously we're here now in Manchester recording this. And I was thinking because you're the first sports person we've had <laughs> we've had on the podcast, yeah. Um, and then I was thinking about what are the connections, what are the similarities, and I was thinking about a dream that all performers have, mm -hmm. whether they're actors or they're stand-ups or, or whatever, whatever they do. And it's that, that anxiety dream of that they like walk on stage and they won't know the lines or oh, right. something will happen. Then I was thinking about what footballer must go through because you've got to bear in mind, I know nothing <laughs> about football. I know what you're thinking. Craig, I look at you, you look like a big football nut. No, no nothing <laughs> at all. But that moment before you go on the pitch, surely you must be filled with anxiety or certainly have anxiety dreams. You're looking at me going, no, Craig, not <laughs> I have in the past. I definitely have in the past. I think it's something that everyone kind of goes through at least at some point in their career. Um, but would you still get sort of not necessarily anxiety or nerves? butterflies. You get butterflies yeah. before a game. All, every, all the time. Yeah. Yeah, all the time. I think it's more... 
excitement than anything else. I was you gonna know. say when that goes, you might as well just give up. Give up and not do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean if you take for instance, like even this the smallest game, I always get like a little flutter and I'm like, ooh, you know, but that just tells me that I guess I'm I'm taking it seriously. It still means something to me. Yeah. Um but yeah, obviously like when you go to the major tournaments like the World Cups and the European championships, you're kind of like, all right, it's a bigger scale, you know, so you start to kind of feel it a bit more. But then I think you think about all the stuff that you've done up to that point and how much preparation you've done and you have that to kind of like rely on, which I'm sure is similar to what it must be like for you. Yeah, I think so, so, yeah. But, you know, sometimes when you're filming, what you want to try and do is forget that there's crew there and cameras and just sort of focus. If it was me and you doing a scene, I would want to focus Mm -hmm. on on us listening yeah. and talking and just forget about what's going yeah. on there. So when you go on to the the bigger tournaments and the World Cups, things like that, does it in, does your excitement increase because of what w- what it is or because of where you are, like the scale of it? Because all the scale just must go, you Yeah, know, that... I, I have seen bits of football <laughs> in my time, Karen. I'm not... <laughs> it's completely <laughs> blind to it. No, um, I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. I think what happens is you have a heightened awareness of like what could potentially happen, you know, and it's a, it's a platform for something that you want to do well and mm. you want to achieve. Um, so it's perceiving it, I guess, as an opportunity, you know, to, to do well. Um, and then obviously you notice that the world is watching and, you know, there's a lot more people there than usual. You're playing in, you know, sellout grounds and things like that in front of, I mean, 30 to 70,000 people. So it's just kind of like... And that's just who's there on in the ground. Yeah, then exactly. You, and then a TV on. Then you think about the millions. You try not to think about it, I guess, <laughs> yeah, until, try not to until afterwards. You're like, oh, wow, oh, yeah, like... They'll send it the numbers and they say, yeah, like a million or however many people were watching that night. And you're just like, oh, my gosh. And Thank God I didn't know that one. Yeah, 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 bit. totally. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Um, you were talking about being preparing before you briefly mentioned it. How much preparation can you do? Because obviously this is this is a football game. This is completely organic. It's, ne- it's never going to happen again. It's one thing. That's Yeah, that's true, actually. You, can, you never really replay a game exactly the same way no but there are patterns and kind of trends that like emerge um and especially like in a preparation leading up to um say just like a game at the weekend or even the world cup like you know who you're going to play in the group stages and you have a good idea of who you'll probably meet throughout the rest of the tournament um and when you get into the latter stages that's when it's kind of like well the preparation window gets a little bit smaller yeah but essentially um there's so many cliches, really, you know, you can only control the controllables and things like that. So, so you try to just hone in on that a little bit and, you know, what your influence in the game would be, you know, what your roles and responsibilities are, you know, in defense or attack and things like that. And that's all you kind of just hang your hat on. And if you do those things really well, then like the likelihood of your performance being good is, is higher. Yeah, of course. But sometimes it can be hard to, you know, do exactly what you've just alluded to there and and kind of minimize the noise and strip away the audience or the... Are you quite good at, are you quite good at doing that and just sort of zoning in on what's in front of you and forgetting the, I mean, it must be really hard. I mean, obviously depending on the scale of the stadium, sometimes I'm sure you could hear what is going on. 
you know, some yeah. of it I'm sure not particularly encouraging. <laughs> yeah. No, there, I can remember, you know, my first my first World Cup, I, I, I really struggled to... When was, what, what year was the first that World Cup? That was 2011. Wow. Yeah, so I really struggled to kind of... Uh, not pay attention to everything that was going on around me because it was just like oh so new and yeah of course you had no frame of reference yeah yeah it was a bit like sensory overload and the things that you were kind of used to being able to do were you know just being able to communicate just this far away from each other you'd, it would be so hard to hear um so that was like oh, okay well how do we deal with that um and now it just seems like really easy to just kind of focus on what you need to do but yeah i guess that only comes with experience really i think so probably yeah, yeah. would you agree you know in, in in your realm yeah i think so yeah because everything saying that yes everything comes down to experience but i'm still sometimes of nervous like starting a job for the first time because it is a little bit like first day of school right because yes you know what you hopefully want to do and you know your craft and you've been doing it for years and not that you follow the same path and the same tropes but you pick out what you know and mm-hmm. you, you get it out from your your little imaginary rucksack and you go right I've got my set of skills and I yeah. can do this. but you're meeting a whole new team right you're meeting a whole new load of players that you've got to play with see what I'm using the football yeah absolutely yeah? I get it yeah yeah you're, straight, you're linking it together <laughs> it's nice. good yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, it, uh, I guess in 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 that line of thinking, how is it when you meet those new people that you have to work so closely with for like a really? I mean, the length of time differs, doesn't it? So sometimes it be long, short. It does from job to job, but you know, if you say, for argument's sake, right, I'm going to be working with this bunch of people for three months, you've got to get to know people pretty yeah. quickly. Um, on whatever level, sometimes it can be just surface level and it's right, okay, we've got a click, we've got, a, I mean, you don't have to click, but you've got to kind of get on mm-hmm. in a way that informs the work. Sure. That's so cool. you make, you don't necessarily make snap decisions or judgments, but you want to be as open as possible. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So... What what would that look like for you? Like if you're on a, a set for three months and you have to work with these new people, like would it be just the person that say your character is working with really closely, or would it be kind of like oh I have to have these interactions have to... with other people? So well, that would all depend on the story. Oh right. What okay. that? But the people that you see all the time are the people who are behind the camera. So it's oh, all right. the crew. So everyone, not just so, the people. Oh, yeah, yeah, everybody full stop. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, you want to try and get to learn 20 people's names in the first day. I mean... It's hard. Yeah. Really hard. You're forever going, I'm really sorry. Because you know what? They fucking know your name. Yeah, yeah, it's no like, joke. Oh, no, I want to know everybody's name. You forever apologising until you go... Terry, of course, Terry. Thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah, I always find it really awkward when if you have to like move teams, which I've had to do a lot in the past. Over. Yeah, I was gonna say. Um, fortunately, I've been at I've been at City for about six seasons, about seven years now, and it doesn't change that much. But but, still, but players must come and go. Yeah, they do. They do. But um, fortunately, it's easier to you know remember three or four people as opposed to twenty. But of course, um, how does that change? 
the dynamic of the team, though. If one, you take one person out, everything could crumble or upset the balance. Yeah. And everybody has, you know, everybody's got different personalities and everybody works in a completely different way, regardless of whether you're on set or you're in a football team. It's No, it's absolutely true. Um, I've been in a few teams. Like when I played in the States, the team just constantly changed every year. And, you know, you would lose, like, your best mate. You know, they would get drafted or traded or something like mm. that. And you're like, well, my whole, like, support system and social system has just kind of been disrupted. So you have to try and find new ways to... And you've had no say in the matter. No, not at all. You yeah. have zero control over Yeah, that. exactly. And so does the person that has to go, you know. So that was that was kind of rough. Um, but, yeah, now it, with it being more stable... Um, you're right, though. I think if, if someone does leave the team for a better opportunity or whatever the reason is, it, there's going to be a, an impact, you know. Yeah. Again, you know, someone's closer with that person and they're kind of like, okay, well, now what do I do? And then that changes your relationship with them and the whole team. So, and even down to what it's like on the pitch, you know, like someone can be really good at this certain attribute and, you know, this is what we need more of. And then that changes, and then you go, okay, well, who's coming in? Do they have the same skill, skill yeah, set? Like, are we going to play the same way? Um, but it's like a constant balance. Yeah, exactly. I think that's probably the, diff- the most difficult part for a manager is managing, obviously, like what's going on on the pitch with the tactics and everything like that, but also off the pitch relationships and things, you know, with, with their players. And you can tell when it's good and when it's not good mm. because if you have a good team and they're rotating a lot, playing time is obviously important. So... You know, if 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 you're not happy and you're not playing, then it can be a ve- not very nice place to be. So it's important to get those like relationships right. Yeah, because you obviously it's a tight knit family you've got. And you yeah. work very intensely. Together. Yeah, and we all do kind of rely on each other. You know, it's obviously it's a team sport. You know, and if you it have was, to, so yeah, yeah, if it was an individual, and you know, you could put all the blame on yourself and carry that burden. But yeah, you can't do that. Now, you have to forgive my ignorance with this. If, <laughs> okay. if say, right, so I'm playing at, at Man City, never going to happen. <laughs> you never know. Right? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'll take the Pepsi challenge with that, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. Um, but I'm saying I'm playing there, and they go, right, Craig, uh, you have to go and play for Stoke. But no, I'm happy, I don't want to. Do, do, do I have any say in the matter, or am I just a pawn? You probably would. You would have more say here in Europe than you would say in the States. Like they would just say, you're an asset, you need to go, basically. Oh, God, right. Um, Here, I think there's more kind of protection for the players. So they would obviously have to agree um, that it was the best move for them personally, but then also for the club, the the experience and, and those types of things, so on. But before that usually happens, there's usually like an indicator that someone's happy or not. You know, so if, say, a player says, listen, I want to play more, what are my options? And it's either, you know, lift your level or maybe look about going on loan somewhere. Right. Um, Then at least you kind of, the options that you're willing to consider. Um, So it happens all the time, you know, people, maybe not so much in the women's game, but in the men's game, you'll see kids from the academy that don't necessarily see a, a way to the first team. So they'll say, right, okay. I need to go and get experience somewhere else, um, particularly between like a certain age range. Mm. And then when they come back to the academy or if they do really well on loan, they might get, you know, pulled into the first team. Right. So um, I guess the hardest thing is like 
making sure that people don't feel frustrated, you know, like that their pathways are blocked and stuff like that. Yeah, of course, no one can do the job to the best of their ability if they're frustrated. Yeah. Why can they? No, it's so true. Yeah. It's so true. That happens all the time where people just kind of like, you know, there's there's something inside them that's being withheld and they can't really express themselves on the pitch, which I'm sure, again, probably relates really well to Well, that's to vital, acting. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, of course. Have you noticed, uh, certainly over, I don't know, the past few years, uh, a surge or a sudden spike in girls and women joint wanting to make this a viable career oh yeah absolutely what i was thinking as well when i was driving this morning thinking about when i was at school and when i ever had to play football and trust me i was forced <laughs> to i was always stuck in goal right I, I was the tall guy right okay and i just ended up like falling asleep but i was rubbish anyway um but you know quite um regimental in the fact that Boys play football, girls play netball. Right. And then the seasons change and you can do rugby and you can do hockey or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, who's, who made that rule? You know, it's like everybody should be able to play everything. Sure. And, and more and more now, especially where we are in the world, people are doing. And then I was thinking about my friend Sam who moved to Australia with her two kids and her daughter, Poppy, has always been mad crazy about football and it's been actively encouraged in Australia like she plays it at school they have their team she plays extracurricular she plays at the weekends and it just seems and again this may be my ignorance why isn't it like that here I I I wish I could like tell you Mm. exactly why because that's probably the same question that I've been wondering for quite a long time now because I grew up in the states and it was actively encouraged for for girls to be active and do the things that they wanted to do. Yeah. They wanted to play softball, baseball, well, I whatever. Remember, I remember seeing some 80s films not so long ago. I've been showing my little boy. <laughs> getting to an age where I go, right, we're going in hard and strong on the karate kid. We're going to do this yeah, all weekend. Yeah. And I remember seeing, like, there's a group of girls playing football yeah. in, like, 84, 86. Totally normal. Totally normal. Yeah. But here, but yeah, here, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And it's like... You just think, well, why? this. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, I think why, but also everybody needs to be inspired, and that's what certain people like yourself are doing and showing. Yeah, look, what do I do for a living? I do this. I play football, mm-hmm. and you—that's exactly what you could do too. Yeah, and and that's I think what we've really tried to focus in on is is kind of actually there aren't very many female role models that are in sport at the no. minute. Um, and I think it's one of our big challenges is trying to change the perception of that, you know, amongst the general population. Um, but it's not just tennis. Yeah, you know. Or it's not just athletics. Well, there's nothing wrong with, you can do whatever you want. No, I'm not not saying it is, but I'm saying the door should be open. Yeah, no, I meant, I meant like, if you want to do anything, like it doesn't even need to be athletics. It doesn't need to be like, if you want to be prime minister, then great, you know, like do that too. But the fact that, we've recognized that in women's sport, there just weren't enough viable career pathways because there were no, there was no promotion of uh, women that were currently doing it, you know? And so you kind of had to look at the the model and say, actually, like we're going to have to raise the profile of the current people playing the game because no one actually knows that 
this can happen. Yeah, you know? exactly. So um, I guess that's kind of what the FA have done. Um, you know, they've they've really helped us raise the profile of the national team, and obviously with us doing well at the yeah. previous World Cups, that massively helped. Yeah, of course. Um, and then obviously the the interest from the bigger clubs as well as is really helped. But you know, it it was them taking the responsibility kind of before it became popular, you know, and and taking a gamble on it because for a while it's always been a bit chicken and egg, is you know, like okay, if we're gonna keep pushing this. Where, where is it going to come from first, you know? And, and we're kind of saying, oh, maybe it's the media that needs to step it up. And then the media are saying, well, there's no one in the ground, so how's that going to look kind of thing? And so it is a bit like a back and forth, but in order for one to happen, you know, something else kind of needs to happen. So we're just trying to identify that. But the, the greatest thing for me was um, like something a bit closer to home was when I got back from the World Cup, um, my cousin's daughter, who had no previous interest in football at all, like just said she want she wants to take football up. Oh, and, I, right. and I was just like, well, why? And oh, because she saw you playing, and she saw the girls at England play, and you know now she she loves it. She goes every week, you know, and just little stories like that, yeah. you know. And I think there's so many people that can relate to that that possibly didn't think you know that their daughters would be interested, you know, and fathers of their daughters now they're interested in football and they have something different that they thought they might never have you know in terms of like a bond or something they could share together so i think that's something that's really cool it's incredible yeah i mean then i was you know saying about my friend sam's daughter in australia before if they hadn't moved over there because of her husband's work would she still be this crazy football fanatic because you know she'd be she wouldn't be able to do it at school because it wouldn't be on the curriculum. Yeah, I think fortunately that's changing. Oh, is it? It seems as though. Um, yeah, I, I've only got an eight-year-old boy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like the the FA have identified that there aren't enough um, girls opportunities in the school, so they're trying to get more um, programs into to schools. So it is slowly moving mm-hmm. in, in a more positive direction. From from what I can see. Yeah, yeah, and and that's the thing with with changes and it's always going to be a bit of a process but um at least the initiatives are starting to to be there in in the schools themselves and well at least someone's taking responsibility and going yeah. I, I think this needs to be happening of course like many things like you said you know n- nothing happens overnight yeah um, but, they have uh centers they're called like the wildcats centers for right. basically for girls to get into football a little bit um and particularly in manchester there's been a massive percentage increase in those centers opening up throughout the county so that's something that's been really exciting you know just to just to hear that that's going up so quickly are things like that happening you know all around the uk yeah yeah Yeah, nationwide so um there's there's all sorts of, of of cool little things happening i think people probably need to know about them a little bit more so um, so whose responsibility is that? Exactly, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, is it is it ours? Is it the players? Is, is it, it the, the media's? The FA, yeah, yeah. But I guess just bringing it into the topic of discussion is helpful. <laughs> well, conversation—that's the starting point. Yeah, you know? exactly, exactly. And for people listening now, you know that where we are, we're recording this. We're we're in Manchester, and you live in Manchester. You play for Manchester. <laughs> 
you're not from Manchester. No, I don't. No. <laughs> I definitely don't have the accent. No, do I? not yet. No, no. <laughs> I was I was expecting you've been here quite a long time. I was expecting a few twangs, but it's, mm. not, it's very much still uh, Santa Monica, wasn't it? Yeah, I grew up. In, oh, I grew up in a town called Chino Hills, but I was born in Santa Monica. Right. So it's. Um, yeah, I, every once in a while I get some kind of weird like colloquialism that kind of drifts into my vocabulary. But um, yeah, I'm very much Southern Californian still. Um, and when I want to put it on thick, I can turn into a, like a real valley girl. But right. you know, I don't think that's I think it's probably put off putting for most people. <laughs> I, don't know, I, I don't know. I like all accents. All right? Currently. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, my my story is pretty weird. Um, when you actually think about it, I've, I've come full circle, really. Yeah. My parents are from Manchester originally. Uh, my dad's from Ashton-Underline. My right. mom's from Stockport. Um, they moved to Southern California in, I want to say, like, 89. Some, I'm sorry, 79. Um, and for, for what was that work reasons? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad was just offered an opportunity, and at the time, he wasn't getting a lot of opportunities here. So um, he has this bus stop story that he tells and he was just waiting for the bus one day and he knew there was a guy there that he knew from a previous job that he had done and um he's asking you know like well what he was doing these days and he's like oh i'm thinking about going out to america you should check it out so they just got chatting about that um put him in touch with a few people that were offering positions and um he always said to me he's like i could never i could never live with not knowing uh, what would have happened? What if? Yeah. So he always said, you know, like I got this opportunity and I took it because I didn't want that regret. And really, he never, he never turned back. My mom came over a few years later after he'd like settled into a position, um, and then yeah, they they they've lived there ever since. Really. Wow. Yeah. So it's pretty weird. Yeah, you know, I grew up there. Went to the university at, um, at California State University Fullerton and. and like 15 minutes away from Disneyland. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I just decided to follow football for a while, and then it just kind of led me back to Europe and led me back to when, when did When did the interest in football start from when you were a little girl? Yeah, yeah, it started. So um, my granddad always used to ring, you know, at the weekends, and he'd, he'd talk about United. Yeah, and then he and my dad would just chat on, you know, about about them all the time. Um, and then I started to take an interest and my neighbors would watch like football on the local, like Spanish language channel. Cause there wasn't much on. Cause that was the only place. Yeah. To watch it. Yeah, of course. Um, and then they just used to talk about it all the time. So I thought oh, like, that's, I want to know more. And, um, I decided I wanted to start playing sports, but the only thing that was available at that time of the year was softball which I liked, but it was, I thought it was really boring, you know. Um, Did you know that soft football was your thing? Not until I tried it. Right. Yeah, not at all. But so. there must have been something that you, in you, that yeah. you, oh, I need to try that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it, I think it was probably because it was the most popular things for girls to do at that time, which was, was weird, right? Again, it's I so know. interesting. I know. How different that it was so popular. Yeah, you think about it. So that was 89 when, when I first started playing. Um, and it was it was like actively encouraged at school. Oh, totally. Well, it wasn't even at schools. It was just like uh, we went to the <laughs> we went to the supermarket one day, and there was just like a big canopy out front, and they were just saying like, "Yeah, sign ups here." You know, it was for what was it called? ASO. It was like the American Youth Soccer Organization. 
And it was like, oh, yeah, sign up for your local region. And it was all your friends from school, and they got divided into different teams. And you just play at the weekend and maybe have a training session during the week. And, you know, it was like the the fun part was getting your match kit, you know, and then deciding on, like, a team name and stuff like that. So... Um, so you kind of all built the team together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like the mums would like make the banners and things like that. So it was it was kind of like a, a social thing as well. Um, a bit, you know, like brownies and Boy Scouts and those sorts of things. But um, I just loved it. As soon as I started playing, I absolutely loved it. Just loved running around, being active. And I got shoved in goal. Yeah, <laughs> and I hated that at the time. Absolutely hated it because like you, I think I was just bored. There wasn't a whole lot going on. Do you know on. what it was? Even though I wasn't into sports at school like at all completely the opposite to you but I, I always felt a bit lonely in goal yeah, well yeah it's I mean pretty lonely everyone else is having a great old time yeah like, up the other end and you're just like mm, okay I'll just make a daisy chain or <laughs> <laughs> like follow butterflies around yeah I'm just leading on the goalpost yeah sort of thinking about something else and then a ball would just whiz yeah. past my head yeah I mean when you're a kid that's it's yeah I just used to pick up rocks and just throw them and things like that yeah. but nothing really went went on until you, you know you got a bit older is it is it do you find it hard now as a professional to keep focused where, when you're in your space or are you completely there? <laughs> yeah, I think that's something I've had to actually work on and kind of train mm. a little bit because um, like trying to concentrate for 90 minutes is nearly impossible. Yeah, so I say. you think, okay, well, how do, you, how do you change that so it is something that you can kind of control a little bit more? So we, we, we were working on something at the 2015 World Cup about kind of like channeling your control. So when the ball's at the other end of the pitch and you're not really involved, I mean, you can't switch off, but that was the kind of terminology that we used where you're just not as alert. And then obviously when the ball comes, you kind of funnel your focus. So it's almost like you switch your yeah. dial, you're turning yeah. the dial down, and then you're turning back up exactly. when the action comes towards you. That's a much more eloquent way of explaining it, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know, Karen. I'm literally, the, I'm learning things about football already. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's, that's the perfect way to think about it, like a little dimmer switch, you know. Mm. And, um, yeah, it's, it's obviously when it becomes more threatening to you you have to really switch on and focus on a keeping the ball out of the net but then also directing traffic and thinking about things that could potentially lead to threats and things yeah like of course that. so yeah it's red alert yeah exactly exactly <laughs> so just jumping back to sort of school because you know it sounds to me like it was sports was such a main focus in your life did the academic part take a back seat or were you trying to find a nice balance? That's a good question. Um, because at the time, I, 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 was, I was always like an okay student. Like I never really felt like I had all the answers or anything, but, you know, I was respectful on the most part as a kid and did what I was supposed to do. Um, and I think my parents kind of used football as a crutch to lean on to kind of make sure I behaved really. Right. Um, so, you know, if you didn't do this, you didn't do that, then you weren't going to go to football. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so yeah, when I was a kid, it was, it was fine. Um, but I didn't really realize how the university system worked in, in America. Um, well, I don't, you have to tell me how this works. Yeah. So, uh, I, I tell a lie. I kind of do a little bit, <laughs> but there'll be people listening who probably don't. Sure. So. Yeah. Um, well, 
obviously through throughout high school, um, you have to kind of maintain a certain grade point average um, to make sure that you can gain eligibility to get into university. But then you also have your standardized tests. So we had our SATs, entrance exams and things like that, mm. and the ACTs. And so you had to kind of get like a certain score um, on those to kind of help yourself get in if you had like a higher or lower grade point average. And I didn't really understand any of this at the time. So like I was just kind of doing okay. I was kind of floating by. There were a few things that I struggled with. Um, and it came to the testing and I was just like, oh, like I'm not great with standardized tests at all. Um, cause you can't really like blag it, can you? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? No. Like, and also you've got that environment yeah, it's, where you, the pressure is exactly, really on. You're like, you've got this limited amount of time to do this. Yeah. Do it fucking well. Otherwise. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And so I didn't really understand kind of like the seriousness of it mm. at the time. So I didn't really care about it. And I was struggling with a few things. Like, like I struggle with maths a little bit. And I was almost like embarrassed to like ask for help with it. Um, so yeah, I, I'm trying to think, um, I think sports was was something that once I realized that I couldn't do what I wanted to do at university without kind of focusing on my academics, that's when it kind of switched for me. And I was like, Oh wow. Step up. Yeah. Yeah. I have to actually, you know, figure this one out. How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? Well, it's again, it's a little bit like what you were, um, the bargaining chip that your parents yeah. were doing when you were small and saying, well, if you don't do this, we're going to take that away. Yeah. This was just thrust onto you going, well, you can't have this without that. Yeah, so exactly. You, you better step up to the plate. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's kind of the way it worked. I ended up going to a few um, like tutors and things like that to try and boost a few things. And long story short, I ended up you know doing fine and getting into university and stuff. But um, I think my real interest in school and learning didn't happen until I kind of got to university and then probably just until recently, you know, that I really kind of started to figure out what I was interested in actually studying. But everything just takes time, doesn't it? It does. Everything takes time because it takes us, it takes some people a very long time to learn who they are and what yeah. they're about and what, what they need. Yeah, exactly. Like what you're actually interested mm. in. I mean, they, that's like thrust upon you at such a young age. And, and the, the, the time when you probably should be just enjoying your life and just, you know, you're like forced to go to school and forced to do all this. And listen, I'm still an, an, an advocate for education, but yeah, no, it's almost backwards, isn't it? When you nice think balance. about it, you know, yeah. like when you're, when you're, you know, in your late twenties and thirties, you have the resources to travel and do the things that you want to do, but you're anchored by a job or responsibilities. And then, you know, when you get a bit older, it's kind of a bit vice versa. You don't have as much health and vitality, but you have the resources. Yeah. It seems kind of backwards, but, um, is the university life, do you think what I was thinking about, you know what school's like and it's quite regimented and you're there. And I know that universities over here are much more relaxed. So therefore how you choose to educate yourself is a slightly more free an experience yeah. for other people as opposed to that environment of school where it's, 
it's there. Mm-hmm. You have to be there at a certain time. <laughs> it's more like, is it, the, is it similar in universities in the States? Um, I mean, I, I suppose. It's just different. Um, uni was just so fun, <laughs> you know. I was going to say. It's just awesome. Uh, like, you meet most of your friends for life, you know, at, in, in, at a university and you get a little bit more control about what you actually want to learn about. Um, well, that's it. I think that's the, the key word that I was looking for. You, you have more control than you do in, in oh, yeah. school. Yeah. You're forced to just sit through things that you really don't care about. You know, you, you sit through lectures on the Black Plague and you're like, oh, that's kind of interesting, but, well, actually, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> we said we weren't going to talk no. about it, Karen. <laughs> I don't know why that's in my head, but, oh, God, yeah, let's maybe do it. Um, yeah, see, <laughs> that's weird. That was it weird, is like, weird, isn't it? Ian, wasn't it? Um, yeah, no, you, you get forced to listen, to learn things you don't want to learn about. And basically at university, like, I got to think about what it was that really interested in, you know, me and, and what I was passionate about. And at the end of the day, I ended up studying graphic design just because it was something I was interested in. I thought at the time there was a lot of, um, something that you were connecting with. Yeah. 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 There's, there's a lot of, you know, openings in the, in the market for it. It was something I could kind of like funnel my creativity into. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. I actually loved it. Um, and then once I kind of finished my actual degree, I had met so many amazing artists. I was like, my portfolio is terrible. Like, I don't think I'm actually ever going to get a job. Uh, and then I just like kind of followed my interest in football and, and just decided that I was going to do everything I could try to do to go professionally. And that's kind of where it's taken me, really. But what when is that when it kind of clicked that you wanted to do it professionally when you graduated, or was it still something that was bubbling under while? You were at university. Yeah, I think it was even when I was a kid, because at the time there were women, you know, like kind of what you alluded to earlier at the highest level. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. I want to do that. But there wasn't an actual league or a team or anything. It was just like the national team. So I was just kind of thinking, well, like, I want to do that and I want to get paid for it. Like, how can I kind of do that? And that was always like a dream that I kind of had as a... As how a, can I get paid for doing what I love? Yeah, you know? Right, yeah. Like, just yeah. something I've been doing my whole life. Um, so I just, I guess that kind of drove me more and I was just kind of like following opportunities just kind of around around the world. So what was the next step then? Now you'd made that decision. So well, after university? Yeah. Um, at the time there was a semi-professional team in LA um, that I decided to play for. Um, And there was, I mean, probably like your world, our world is quite small in terms of who you know, the networks and and the news travels fast, isn't it? So there were rumors kind of floating around that there was going to be a new professional league um, maybe in 2009. There was a professional league in 2000, which collapsed in 2003 so it was all of a sudden like yeah my dream did come true. why did it collapse after such a short space of time um i think to be honest it was probably just financial and budgetary reasons right because it it, it was great like the first two or three years it just it had you know it was on tv um all the top players were playing there um it just looked amazing and then all of a sudden it just gone collapsed yeah so i think because they tend to work in like the franchise systems. Um, each team's kind of like individually owned and their circumstances are just different, you know? Yeah. So um, it, 
it, it, it kind of showed up and then just went. So you're like, yeah. And then, oh, you know, it's like just so quickly you're like, oh, damn it. My whole dream has just disappeared. Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, anyway, so like back to that 2008, 2009, they were talking about having a, a, a team come back in the next few years. So right. I was just kind of looking for anything that would be like a placeholder job, you know, at that time. So uh, I ended up, I took up coaching um, at my old university and then the University of San Diego afterwards. Um, but I was just kind of bouncing around to teams in LA that were probably linked to maybe becoming the professional team in Los Angeles. Um, so and, you're kind of biding your time until it was going to be a possible. Yeah, yeah. And um, it, it didn't really kind of pan out the way I thought it was going to. Because, in what way? Uh, <laughs> they had a they had a combine where they basically invite um, all the players who are interested in in entering a draft or being a professional athlete essentially um, invited them to train for three or four days down in San Diego. So, would it be a bit like an audition process? Yeah, so exactly. They can just really see what everybody's made of. Yeah, and put people together. Exactly. Right, okay. Um, and. Oh. So I went and did that. Um, fortunately, I did really well. I got ended up getting drafted by a team, but it was in New Jersey, which is completely the opposite side of the, the country. God. So I, you know, it's like hanging my head on, like staying in L.A. and this and that. So kind of those two years, although they were very important, you know, um, in different ways, you know, just meeting different people, growing as a person, um, nothing, it didn't mean anything in terms of like my actual career. So that was quite quite funny you know everything I kind of like bet was going to happen just didn't happen the way that I thought it was going no, to of course um so did you end up going yeah did yeah yeah so I went to New Jersey I packed up I had a little pickup truck at the time I packed it up and drove across the country um and you had no connection there you had no, no people there no friends nothing yeah so that must have been nerve-wracking it was it was pretty crazy because the whole trial process like got extended um so there was no guarantee that I was even going to be given a contract or oh anything. Oh, my God, this is a real gamble. Yeah, yeah, Shit. yeah. So um, we all met up, did the preseason training. Um, and, yeah, when I think back about it, it was actually brutal. Um, the preseason training was for like a, a full-on month, and it was like two or three sessions a day. And um, Were you getting paid for this kind no. of No. Oh, my God, so you're doing this? Yeah. So you moved to New Jersey, <laughs> don't know anybody, Brutal training, not getting paid. Yeah, that's right. And also, so you're paying out of your own pocket to live somewhere and bills and... Well, fortunately at the time, like, they kind of put us up... Ah, right, okay. ...during this preseason period, so we weren't really spending all that much at all, fortunately. We um, didn't, didn't have anything, anything to... Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> and so we, the team went to North Carolina to do our preseason training... Um, because it was meant to be warmer, ended up snowing, ended up being absolutely freezing. Um, and the crazy thing was, you know, like we were still training through all this, but during the week, you know, so we did this for about three or four weeks, people would just be gone. Like, you wouldn't know where they went, and then you'd find out, oh, they'd been cut or they'd been let go. Oh, my God. You know, so there, there were probably 30-some-odd people that were invited to this training camp. And and by the end of it, I want to say there were, yeah, like 20 of us. And there were a handful that already had their contracts, so they were totally safe. They yeah. knew it was going to happen. There were another handful that had, I think they were called 
semi-permanent contracts, so they would be fine for like three months. And then there was like myself and everyone else who was just like fighting for whatever was kind of left over. Um, and and I just remember that was probably the no- most like nerve-wracking moment for me because it was do or die really it's like I've always wanted to be a professional athlete and this is it this is it if I don't play well this is my dream gone oh my god I can't imagine <laughs> I can't imagine the pressure yeah so what was great though is we were all in the same boat you know so um we just went for it and we just tried to have a good time and just do what we could do to try it make it a relaxed environment. And we all got on really, really well. Did you? Yeah, which was crazy when you actually consider we're all competing against each other. Well, I was going to say, what's what's the mindset like on this? Because you know that there's certain offers on place. You ain't all going to get it. Exactly. So do you sort of hunker down and think about yourself in that situation or do you play as as a team? Yeah, I do think you have to think about yourself in that position. Um, and I was fortunate enough to have like a pretty good group of, of people around me yeah. at the time. Um, so I, I felt like, um, I was building a good group of friends as well, but like we said earlier, like they were just randomly go and you're like, Oh my gosh, like where's so-and-so and they're like, Oh, they've That's been it. let go. And you're just like, Oh Jesus, you know? Um, and again, but, I'm sure you're thinking, oh, that yeah, could that, that could have been me, me or, you know, yeah. things like that. So you do have that pressure, but I think it's how it how you respond to it. You know, for me, I kind of I guess I must have enjoyed it. You know, a bit of a chip on the shoulder, like I'll show you what you think. You know, yeah. Um, and yeah, I just fortunately I, I did really well and I ended up getting like a contract. And but it was crazy. It was really crazy. Crazy path to get there. Yeah. And that's when I, I, I kind of got hooked on coffee as well at the time. So <laughs> I had never really drank it before, but we stayed in this hotel. And because we were training like three days, three times a day, I think we all just congregated around the coffee machine. And we're just like, you know, just yeah. doing whatever we could to refuel. So. I was going to ask about sort of diet and stuff. Are you very, very strict? Um, uh, or is it, does it depend on whether you're on or off season? Yeah, I think, I think it depends like who you are as a player, like what your actual requirements are because I'm a goalkeeper so I don't have to be running as much but just I want to be a better athlete so I like to just try and stay as fit as possible um but yeah I think in season everyone's probably a little bit more aware of what they're doing um slightly stricter probably Mm. I would imagine so just based on their own performances and things yeah but it just seems to be kind of like a a year-round thing now everyone just kind of tries to stay on it and I suppose um, it would make it even harder for any sort of athlete to go, oh, well, I'm not really doing anything now, so I'll just go and it, yeah. drink, drink, drink loads of beer and just eat pies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as much as we probably want to, <laughs> which probably wouldn't do us any good. But, you know, I've been injured for the last seven and a half months, so that's been, like, pretty difficult. Yeah, what happened there? Because we, we, met, we met last year, didn't we, very yeah. briefly, and we've been trying to get this together yeah, since. <laughs> since last summer. So what? What? How? You did tell me how? How did the injury happen? Yeah. Again? So I was. It was in the World Cup in mm. 2019, and uh, we were playing against Norway in the quarterfinal. And basically, I, I took a touch, and it wasn't a, the best touch, and I had to rush the, the the next the pass basically. And um, I ended up just feeling something pop in my leg, and it turned out that it was my hamstring tendon. So it's this thing that attaches your 
muscle to the bone, basically. Mm. So I'm, I'm, I've got one eye closed. I'm putting winks in because you said the word hamstring. I'm just waiting. <laughs> yeah, pop is a good, yeah, is a good word. Yeah, don't, that don't put those two together. No, no, that's not good. Yeah, so that that wasn't great. Um, I managed to finish the game, which was crazy. I don't actually know how that happened. It, I was say, but you obviously knew something. Yeah, physically was not right. Yeah, it was. So it, it happened. Um, Five minutes to go at the end of the first half. So mm. I went into the changing rooms, obviously, at halftime. And I said to the doctor, I was like, something's just popped. It doesn't feel weird. I mean, it feels really weird, but I feel okay at the minute. I'd like to carry on and just see how I get on. And um, so, yeah, they're like, okay. I had, like, a bottle of, like, liquid paracetamol <laughs> to, like, get through it. So it was drugs and adrenaline that were sort <laughs> yeah, of pushing yeah. you through. Yeah, exactly. Um and then towards the second half, I could just feel that, like, something really, really wasn't right. So, like, throughout, I was like, uh-oh. I can just feel like I'm having trouble moving. I feel like I'm just dragging my leg around the pitch. And that's probably, that was, like, Norway's best passage of play was in the second half as well. So, um, Shit, so I, the pressure's really Yeah, on. yeah. So I was under the cosh quite a lot. Um and it got to the point where I'd actually made some really good saves and I'd played really, really well, but I, I was having a really hard time distributing. So if I made a save and like my players didn't want it around me, I was going to have to like hoof it up the pitch. And it was just agony to kick oh, a ball. God. Um, but yeah, I ended up doing really well. I ended up keeping a clean sheet, ended up going through to the semifinal. But you know, I had this horrible feeling that I just wasn't going to be able to play in the semifinal and it was against the US. And oh. um, I did everything I could to try and make sure that I was prepared for it. Um, but yeah, I just, the, the decision was taken out of my hands at that point in time. And they said, listen, like, <laughs> you probably can't do everything you need to do, um, no matter how much you want to play. So that was, it was the right call. I must have been so disappointed. Uh, honestly, I was, I was devastated. I was absolutely devastated. I probably spent a good a good uh, half a day just like bawling my eyes out about how like annoyed and angry I was that this had happened. So That's yeah. such a crucial yeah. point as and well. I was doing so well. Like honestly I was flying. I was having such a good tournament so I was just like, oh so annoying. But I think these are the things that that make you who you are, you know, like No, I'm sure. So hopefully I get another opportunity to to go to another major tournament like yeah, that. No doubt. Of course. <laughs> now physically when something like that happens, there's nothing you can do because it's your body going, right, well, we need to rest or we need to put this in plaster, whatever has happened with mm -hmm. you. So physically that's taken out of your control. But how do you deal with that, like, mentally? Yeah. Because if you're, you know, for all intents and purposes, resting and then slowly rehabilitating, rehabilitating yourself over, like, was it seven and a half months? Mm -hmm. So long period of time to be doing that for somebody who like we spoke before and you went oh I did this today and I went to the gym and I'll probably do more you're obviously a very active person yeah so what does that do uh, to your mind yeah you psychologically can't... it just drives you nuts it really does um so yeah I had I had surgery and had it fixed and everything um and I literally had like just this big brace on my leg and my knee was bent and my friend that you met, Annie, she, yeah. she um, bless her, she came to stay with me to help me out because I literally couldn't, I couldn't even go up the stairs. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't like stand on one leg for long periods of time because then my back would go and it, it was just uncomfortable. So um, 
I had to find different outlets, you know, and, and for me, it was just kind of like catching up with friends or, you know, it was even doing that, those little research projects that I was telling you about yeah. right here. Um, and, and little things like that, uh, just to kind of keep my mind stimulated. And we had a big discussion at the club about, you know, what this rehab process was going to look like. Um, because I think we had recognized from injuries in the past that if the player isn't really involved or doesn't feel like they have some kind of input or control in it, it's just kind of, I don't know, not as, not as exciting for us or it's, it doesn't feel like something that we want to be a part of. So they kind of asked me, is there anything like that you'd really want to do throughout this uh, time? And, you know, I said, well, I'm interested in this, interested in that. Like, is there some way that we can maybe um, work that into it? So um, I said to the club, like, I'd like I'd like to document this process, actually, because I don't think there's a very healthy stigma around what you've just mentioned there, like the psychological aspect of being injured. Um, And if there's any kind of reference for people that are going through stuff like that. So I said, I'd like to document this and kind of make something that will help support people going forward. But then it also will help support me because I'll have like a bit of a creative outlet. So that's something that we were working on and we're still kind of in the process of making that. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to go and do some like just panels and kind of talk about other things that I'm passionate about in terms of just growing the game and, you know, the equality piece around that. Um, so that really helped me put a lot of energy, um, into something I was actually passionate and enthusiastic about. Sure. And then on the flip side with the, 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 the physical aspect, um, my strength and conditioning coaches were all really good about, okay, well, let's think about what you can do as opposed to kind of what you can't do. So we focused on, you know, all the upper body sessions that I could do, or just even really small things about, um, yeah, I'm trying to think like (laughs) picking up marbles with your toes and just little things like that, you know, that as as soon as you can get the brace off, you know, it's kind of like, okay, let's think about what that's going to look like and something you have something to look forward to. It's like you've got to start from scratch again. Yeah. Slowly building your strength up. Yeah. Like, I mean, there were, I couldn't sit down for, for long periods of time because like the, the where, where this, in all fairness, you don't do that for a living. So you should be quite, yeah, that's, that's that's true. That's true. Yeah. I'm not a professional sitter. Um, but like I had to order, um, like a hemorrhoid pillow off Amazon and stuff like that because where the stitches were, were like basically right on my butt. <laughs> so, um, even just sitting down in like a car or anything like that longer than five minutes was just agony. Oh God. And yeah. So did they give you a time frame at the start, Karen, to go, right. Yeah. It's going to be this. Fortunately, they, they gave me like a, a, a protocol to kind of follow, which right. said like, this is the phases that you're going to go through. And this is what, you know, you need to be able to achieve in order to kind of get through those phases. And, you know, I, I read it and I was so excited at first. I was like, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. But then I was like, I was, when I was started making process, then like the reins kind of got put on me. Like, oh no, you're doing this too quickly. We need to make sure that you're ticking these boxes. And then, yeah, it got really, really frustrating really, really quickly. So I kind of wish I didn't have that. Like I didn't know. Um, but yeah, the exciting thing was just seeing seeing yourself like improve, whether it say, was yeah. like physically or whether it was like dealing with different situations, like emotionally and differently. 
So like in years past, I would get really kind of um, maybe aggressive or kind of like angry because I couldn't channel my energy into something. And when I kind of felt that start to happen, we just like nipped it in the bud. And, you know, that was a big, um, you know, that was something for me to be proud of right then because, yeah, in previous years, I wasn't like a very nice person to be around when I couldn't train because that was the only way I could kind of uh, well, that was some channel my energy. I was going to yeah. say, just about to use the word channel. Yeah. yeah. But were there times, because to me, you seem very positive as a person and as an athlete, but there must have been times during that seven and a half months where it was kind of impossible or, or maybe oh, it, was, yeah. it was quite a battle to stay positive. Oh, yeah. No, there was definitely, there was like a month where it was just shit, shit, and more shit. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, the, the world hates me right now. Um, and it was probably around uh, Christmas time, I think, actually, like November, December time. And I think that's when we tried to schedule in we that, did, that podcast, we? Yeah. Uh, well, this podcast. And um, uh, at the time, so my friend Annie was basically like, hey, I have to move back to California, or America. So I was like, oh, great. I'm losing like one of my best mates. So that really sucked. And then I found out that um, like my dad was going to have – uh, chemotherapy for his cancer treatment and it was getting worse and I was just like oh no and then I was in this place with like my recovery where I didn't really feel like I was improving and I was still in like a lot of discomfort so it was just like oh like the world is coming at me from all sorts of like different angles and stuff yeah. and like mentally I just felt like yeah I was in like a really really like low place so fortunately I had like a good support system kind of around me um, not only from the club, but then like through just previous people that I'd met. Sure. Um, and, and they really helped me kind of like focus on again, like what I can control, but then also the things that like I, I really enjoy, you know, so the things that are positive, the things that, um, give me energy and things like that. So which were obviously vital yeah, at that time. Yeah, My God. absolutely. So it would be something stupid where, you know, I just have like a real crap day. I didn't want to get out of bed and, you know, I just, I'd go and like draw something and I'd feel like a little bit better or something like that. Cause it was a bit more mindful or, um, I do some journaling and like write and that would kind of like get my head out of that space and yeah. make me want to go and do stuff or, um, even something as basic as I'm trying to think like a huge win one day was just like going upstairs, you know, just little things like that. So just focusing on, those those little those little wins, I guess. Well, it's little wins is right. I think you've phrased that beautifully because it's so easy at times like that to just shut yourself away mm-hmm. and not reach out or write in a journal, or, you know, draw something or do something yeah. creatively, and that's not going to do anything. You're not going to progress in any way, physically yeah. or mentally. I think I tried to ask myself those types of questions sometimes as well. Um, because like, oh, you know, how, how is this helpful for you? You know, if, if I, if I was feeling a bit shit, mm. um, and I'm not for one moment suggesting that we all need to be really happy and positive <laughs> all all the time, time, because yeah. we all know that bad days are, are there. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we've just got to ride those days out and then we'll start from scratch yeah. tomorrow. That's kind of sometimes the way I deal with it. No, absolutely. And I think, I think also it goes back to like knowing yourself as well. Mm. Um, because I think yeah, I'm glad that that's come across that I'm quite like a positive person, 
But um, I think that's probably growing up in America, you're just constantly like, yeah, you know, everything's great, you know. Well, yeah. <laughs> I said positive. I didn't say sickly. I'm, yeah. I'm joking to any American <laughs> listeners. You know I love you. Don't, don't email in. Dude, you're going to lose tons <laughs> of fans right now. <laughs> Listenership goes down by thousands <laughs> yeah. now, Karen. They know I'm joking. Come on. We're not all bad. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm trying to save you. Just keep I digging your own hole. I can't help. <laughs> but um yeah i think when you know yourself it's a lot easier to kind of go okay well what do i need right now and is what i'm doing actually exactly. helpful what do what do i need yeah. to sort of fix mm-hmm. what's going on yeah but sometimes you you know there isn't a solution no it's not and i think you're right about like when you say writing it out i think just going it's okay to to feel this certain yeah way. And, and i'm just gonna sit with it yeah that's it, because yeah. it's just a feeling. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that this is how you're going to feel forever. It's just like, a, if you know, if a weird thought comes into your head, it's just a thought. It doesn't mean anything, mm. you know. And you just crack on with. I know. I mean, we can all. I mean, I know I do. We can. We, as a net, we can overthink. Are you an overthinker? I can overthink. Yeah. I have been prone. I am to totally over- an overthinker. Really, I just get like lost in this spiral of like, oh, what about that? What about that? Or what is this person thinking? And I'm like, no, 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 stop. But that's, but that's why it's good for what we've just been saying is to sit with it, and maybe not. You know, sometimes I get a bit frustrated if I can't solve a certain failing or a certain problem and sometimes you just, well you just can't right now can't yeah. do it so I'm just gonna sit with it yeah I'm just I'll just write it out yeah so do you ever have like okay with the way you work and the people that you work with is there like a lot of confrontation sometimes or do people try to avoid it if they have to have like a, a difficult conversation with people I, I think they hmm, do they avoid it or do they try to approach it tactfully? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you, you wouldn't, if there's a problem, and inevitably there's always problems, but it's about how they're approached. Right. And I don't just think even for the industry that I'm in, I think in general, but again, I think this comes with knowing yourself mm-hmm. and how, how to approach certain things. Instead of in the past, I might have approached things with with a bit of a heavy hand yeah. or um through accusation or oh, with totally. a, or, or maybe through anger mm. and I'm going I'm I'm going back years no, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago no, I'm talking, <laughs> yeah. years, years but now no 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 I, but I think we have to and I think it's yeah it's about um I always think it's about being collaborative mm-hmm. because right the problems here it's not my problem is not your problem. This is our problem, so we should all try and solve it together. Um, I mean, you do see things that aren't like that at all. And situations, and sometimes, you you know, you can't control the situation. You can't control how somebody else is feeling. Yeah. I just think if you're approaching that like a bull in a china shop, it's not healthy for everybody because there's going to be a ripple effect for everybody. Yeah, yeah exactly. And then you see everybody's shoulders sort of rise up and you go, right, we've got to carry on. We've got another seven hours of this now. <laughs> and everybody's going to be sort of, sort of walking on glass. And and then you're not really... going to get your best no, out of yourself. No, of course like that, you're not. You? Not at yeah. all. And then inevitably someone will come in and go, I'm really apologise for that. I shouldn't have, <laughs> should have done that. I was I'm just having a really fucking bad day, all right? And that's fine because we don't know what's going on in other people's lives, do we? Uh, and then it's okay after that? Yeah, I think... Yeah. I think so. I mean, it's very rare, Karen, I must admit. 
but I have I've seen a few things, but nine times out of ten, it hasn't because it hasn't been because of whatever was going on there. It's something else. Oh, really? It, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always something else that maybe they've brought onto the floor, or something's going on within their personal life, yeah. and they've something they've taken it out on somebody oh, else right. because they, that was the outlet. Yeah, okay. But should, nothing should have been done. Yeah. But, you know, apologies <laughs> are crucial. Yeah, I know, definitely. And we've all been there. Yeah. It always seems like a lot of, well, a lot of times in my experience, it's like the perception of something that hasn't even happened tends to kind of create tension. Yeah, if right. That makes sense. You yeah, know, yeah. So you don't actually know, like, if, hmm, how can I explain this? Like, perception versus reality. So you think, like, actually, does so-and-so... Think, think, say, or do that, you know, but that's just what you think. Whereas if you actually had a problem with that person, um, they, they would have done something clearly that you would have had a, had an issue with. But So again, this comes under the the blanket of overthinking. Yeah, and, exactly. And slash sort of worrying. But then like, yeah, how do you know, how well do you know yourself? But then yeah. also how well do you know the other people that you're working with? Yeah. You know, so I think that's... That's quite interesting. How do you deal with, um, I want to say clashes of personality, but I don't want to sort of limit it to that. Because some, as a team, you know, you do have to all work as a team, but you might not necessarily all get on. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, it's perfectly n- normal for, when you actually think about the situation, and like the makeup of a team, like the only thing you genuinely have in common is that you like football and then you think about all the other things that are going on in these people's worlds you know like they can have so many other interests or they can be from so many different other places yeah it's it's perfectly normal i think for people to have different levels of compatibility um and again and different, i suppose that's just life yeah exactly well, and, and different depths and layers you know so it's, I guess, about trying to find out the people that you have the most in common with and then learning to work with the people that perhaps you don't, mm. you know, but you should still try, you know. Yeah, well, you have to for the good, well, for, for, yourself, the, be- yeah, for the good yeah. of the team, but also for yourself because it's only going to make your life and your job more difficult if you don't. Yeah, exactly. Is it hard not to take things personally sometimes? I think sometimes, like like what you've just said, if something happens on a day that you've had just like just a bad day. Yeah. And then someone says something to you, it just gets under your skin. You're like, oof, like just not today. You know, but a lot of things in like the heat of the moment, like in training or in a game, uh they the way things are said can come out just so rough yeah, yeah you know quite cut yeah exactly sure. and there are times i think like times in the past where i've just gone like oh god i could kill her right now <laughs> but you know at the end of the day i think that's why i asked you about how like confrontations like resolved and stuff like that um if you just have an, an, a conversation just be honest about hey like i didn't appreciate that or whatever um and people are like oh yeah it was in the moment kind of thing i didn't really mean it that way yeah um, again it goes what i was saying before it's like oh sorry it wasn't about yeah yeah you. yeah this other thing happened and you just happened to be there yeah and, I, and i'm wrong i shouldn't have, yeah i shouldn't have said that i shouldn't have snapped but the intention is i think for everyone there that they still want to win they want to perform and that's probably the 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 the, the, the thing that causes the most frustration if things are not going well you know then the heightened 
awareness of that and just like the desire to want to do well would, would cause that frustration. But yeah, I think um, in terms of different personalities, it's, it's, a, it's a funny one because I think people have this perception of what professional is um, and that it has to look a certain way. Yeah. But from my experience, it, it doesn't. Like you just have to do whatever it takes for you to get your body and mind in the right place to perform well. Um, so, you know, that could be so many different things to so many other people. Like for me, I'm quite energetic and I want to be happy and kind of like bouncy. So that might be perceived as being, I don't know, immature or not preparing properly. Whereas someone might be very like focused and they want to be, you know, um, looking at certain things like set pieces or whatever and mm. tactics and things like that. And they're, they're coming across as very serious, but that doesn't mean that their way is better than yours, you know, as long as the, the performance on the in- Everybody has their different approaches. Yeah, exactly. That work, don't they? Yeah, and I'm sure that you've met a lot of people. I mean, see, this is, I guess, a question for you. Like what, and pardon me for my ignorance, I don't have much experience in your line of work at all. But like, what kind of actor would you say that you are in terms of how you prepare? Like, you know, you've this podcast, got this podcast isn't about me. It is because no. I don't know enough about you, and I'm sure your um, listeners probably don't know enough about well, you. Well, I think it would depend on job to job, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, and also where I am within myself. Like, I was f- the back end. No, last summer. Where, in fact, when we bumped into each other, I was filming ironically a show about football did I, tell, did I ever tell you that <laughs> I think you did because I, I think you were like oh by the way I'm yeah, I know. This, but I have Weirdly. No idea <laughs> and the first part of that I just really wanted to read I wanted to sit down I wanted to be in my own space and read and then when I got the call to go in front of the camera I would put the book down and I would do my stuff and then I would go back to my book I didn't and it wasn't that I was being I didn't want to come across as rude to anybody but what I need to do for me right now is to focus on this book and then focus on that scene and just and that happened that happened for the first month because that's how I just needed now mm. normally that doesn't really happen I'm kind of in the thick of it with everybody but again it's about as w- with with any um group of people who have to work together you've also got to listen to other people because mm-hmm. you can't go bouncing on set yeah god yeah full, full of energy and happiness if you go you you've got to read the room sure yeah and also be sensitive to how other people are going so again when i was talking about balance before for for your for the team and again i think it's just about balance mm-hmm. and and listening that's such a good point it really is i think that's something that like just reflecting on my own experiences, I probably didn't have enough of that like when I was younger because I would just go bounce in a room anyway and then people were like, oh, you know. Well, <laughs> we all, we've all been there. Yeah, we? yeah, yeah. And you just end up putting your foot in it because like you, you didn't read the room or you don't really know like what's just happened before. Or, yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, God, the amount of times I've said something, I've just gone, <laughs> I'm just, let me just retrieve my size 11 from my yeah, mouth. That's yeah. just ridiculous what yeah. I've done. Yeah, definitely been there. Definitely been there. Do you know we've all, whether we're, you know, mad football fans or not, you know, we've all got, the image of that team winning 
their FA Cup or the World Cup, whatever it is, and they're all together. Mm-hmm. They're all, and there's champagne going on and they're screaming and they're all kissing and hugging each other. And everybody's together. There's such they're unison there. Yeah. What's the team like when things aren't going well? Because we don't really... You don't get to see that much, You don't really do you? see that. Yeah. I mean, I, I imagine you've still got to stick together when the times are tough, but, like, that must be... It's so much easier to celebrate. Oh, of course. Yeah, I mean, how much easier is it to have, like, a positive emotion than it is to have a negative one? And it's just... I do think it's about making choices sometimes, you know, because even in the most negative times, you can still focus to, you can still choose to to focus on something that is happier, is positive. Like you yeah. don't have to constantly focus on, okay, well, maybe we're not playing as well as, you know, we should be, or maybe, you know, performances or whatever current circumstances are. Like you don't have to keep choosing to think about those negative things that like you can you can snap, you know, a, a, a losing streak or, or a bad performance just by controlling your mind, I think. And the hard part is, is not getting dragged into something negative. You know, um, if a few people are constantly talking about those negative aspects. Um, and so I, what do you do in that situation? Yeah, it's hard because I think there's, there's probably a lot of different strategies. I think first and foremost, people are going to think about what they can do themselves um, and whether that's like just hanging out with different people, whether that's um, getting away from that environment, whether it's trying to change the environment, you know, whether it's, you know. Uh, but sometimes that's out of your control. And it is. Oh, it, it? Yeah, yeah, it really is, you know. So um, I'm trying to think of if I have any kind of like specific examples. I, there was a, a season not too long ago where we just weren't kind of performing as much as as well as we wanted to. Um, and I'm trying to think what our manager used to say, you know, he, like when things were going well, he would always kind of say like, it's so much easier to motivate yourself when things aren't going well, because you always want to get back out on the pitch. You want to change it. You have an opportunity at the weekend to do something different, do something better. But when you're winning, like, it's just almost like you're being chased. You have something that people want. And I think if you think about when you're not necessarily playing well, um, you have to focus on something that you want to achieve, you know, and it doesn't need to be like, you know, you're probably not going to win the league or something like that, but at least like at the weekend, you're going to, you know, cover more distance. You're going to have more shots. You're going to do something that was better than last week. Um, and, and you probably want to work on it harder, but it gets to a point when it's just like, again, shit, shit, and more shit that something becomes demotivating, you know. Um, And I think a lot of strategies that football clubs have or teams have is to just try and take that out of the environment. So whether you go and do like a team building exercise somewhere completely different or like we've had times in the past where um, training will just be an absolute drag, you know, and everyone's just like, oh, for God's sake, and you know, someone does something stupid and they fall on their face or something stupid happens like that. And it just relieves all the tension because everyone's just like taking the piss out of them and laughing at them. Other times, you know, we've gone, you know, away and we've done like boxing sessions or just everyone's just takes the aggression out on the, <laughs> the bags and each Both other are and stuff very, like very that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So um, it's, it's hard because fortunately we've not had a lot of those types of experiences and 
all it takes is just like one or two good performances to kind of change your momentum. Mm. But I think it can be really hard when, um, you know, like one negative comment lends itself to another and another and another, and you just kind of have to take yourself away from it really, you know, and hope that they kind of get over it. But I think a lot of the times you can just try and speak to these people and offer like a different perspective. Yeah. But, um, or not let it cloud yeah. how you're feeling. Yeah. It's very easy in it to get, to get sucked in. Yeah. Like I'm, I think probably the best example I had was when I was in New Jersey, I was there for three seasons and in our first season, um, it started okay, but it ended up not going very well through the middle. Um, we had a, (laughs) we went through four, four coaches at the time. And by the end of the season, we had, um, a player coach and, uh, we ended up winning the league that year. And I, I couldn't tell you how we actually managed to do that. We got to the playoffs and we were fourth, I think, and ended up beating all the other teams. And, ended up winning. But um, the thing that probably got us through it was that we ended up just making a joke out of everything, you know? And so like through the crappiest times, like, yeah, it was uncomfortable, but at the end of the day, we almost kind of had like channeled that into that negativity into one common enemy (laughs) (laughs) who is essentially kind of like the biggest knobhead or like the biggest, like the the coach or something like that, you know, the, the person that we, weren't getting on with at the time. And um, it got to a point when, pardon my French, it was just kind of like a a fuck it moment. Everyone was like, fuck this. Like, we're so over this. Like, we're just going to start fresh right now. Um, And that's when we kind of had our, like, really good run at the end of the season. And we went through the playoffs and we're like, well, we're doing great. So we might as well just keep doing what we're doing. I mean, it got to a point when, I mean, I I won't name names, but it got to a point when, People were just like, yeah, you know, we're going to go out tonight. We've got practice tomorrow, but we're going to go out, you know. Or, um, and, and we kind of had this rule where as long as it doesn't affect your performance, you can do basically whatever you wanted. So, like, yeah, we had some um, crazy, like, I think, Fourth of July parties and things like that. And we're just like, yeah, you know. It's like you've taken any any pressure. Off, yeah. And it's been yeah, gone. Completely. So you were freer. But the, the weird thing about this is it happened like completely organically. Like we didn't plan any of this. It just got to the point where I think we couldn't take it anymore. So, you know, it, when you, it was like completely the wrong thing to do as a professional athlete because, you know, you're like, oh, your diet. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I can just think back to it now, you know, we used to like spend pretty much like we'd train in the mornings. We'd spend over half the day sitting by the pool, just doing nothing. Um, just hanging out. And then, uh, if, if we had a game that didn't go well, we'd have a few drinks, uh, maybe some crappy food. And then we'd just kind of scratch it off, work really hard the next couple of days. And then we'd start to gain some more, more momentum, you know? So it was one of those things where we were just like, well, not my problem. <laughs> and I, this is terrible advice to anyone that is, is, is listening well, this, to this. This isn't advice, Karen. It's just a little part of what was happening. <laughs> this doesn't happen in Man's City. No, that's very true. And, you know, God, I don't know what would happen if it did. <laughs> but, Let's hope we don't have to find out. Yeah. Karen, thanks so much for coming on. I really, really enjoyed talking yeah, to you. Yeah, my pleasure. It was brilliant. I enjoyed it too. Thanks so much. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you.
another episode is done. Oh, what a brilliant, brilliant conversation that was. She's so fantastic, isn't she, Karen? And I want to do a big shout out to my friend Sam in Australia and her daughter Poppy, who I mentioned on the episode. And Poppy is an absolute football nut. And if your kids are football nuts, then get them to listen to this episode. I don't think there's any swearing, is there? Is there? If there is, just just baby out, you'll be grand. Um, right, look, the intro was long enough. I'm not going to keep you hanging for too much longer. Just to say thank you so much for the support and for downloading and subscribing and telling your friends and reaching out to us on social media and on email, which, you know, we really try and get back to you um, as best we can. And let's face it, we've got a bit of time on our hands to do that. So do get in touch, drop us a message. We love hearing from you because, you know, we're building a community here and it's great that we're all having this conversation together. Um, So next week, I will see you back here, bright and breezy, Thursday with the incredible Parminder Nagra. Until next week, I've been Craig Parkinson, he's been producer Griff, and this has been the Two Shot Podcast. I've got to go and do some washing up. Take it easy. The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers.